God, who in glorious transfiguration of your only Son, and in the witness of the patriarchs, confirmed the mystery of your redemptive love, and who in your Son called us also to be sons and daughters. Give us therefore a share in the work and glory of this eternal kingdom, who lives and rules with you and the Holy Spirit now and ever. Amen. Amen. Father God, this morning we pray to those by way of television and listening by way of radio that they would be touched and that we would be able to fill that void and that, that vacuum and that emptiness that they may be feeling in worship. It's not like me here when you can actually shake hands and greet people and embrace and feel the warmth of a sense of community. We pray during this um, Lenten season as we look forward to Holy Week and say our Wednesday of Holy Week and pray for rabbis and body as they prepare for the some nearly 30 people who are already signed up for this event. And we pray, Father, that you would bless the participants and bless our preparation because this is a real time preparation as we realize the tremendous sacrifice that Jesus made upon the cross in the understanding of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This tremendous event as we partake in that body and that blood of Christ, that body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we come to the celebratory acts of, of, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we Reminisce on the many holy times and, and 40 days of preparation. And as we look forward to Holy Week and as we look forward to Palm Sunday and the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, we, we are reminded of the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives. And what do we do? What do we do with what Christ has done for us? In that grace, through God's riches at Christ's expense, we thank you for our visitors today as they have blessed us. We, we trust that we will be a blessing to them. May they feel the warmth and love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and God's embrace. And as we prepare for this worship time, as we ask God's blessings upon Scripture, those by way of television may want to grab their Bibles and follow along according to Ruth chapter 9, 28 to 36. And as Mike prepares to come and moments of lady and preparation for scripture and then the sermon. Help us all to really listen to Jesus during this time of Lent, where God really lent his Son, Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, which is you and I, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever is, that whosoever is, we are the whosoever is, who believe in, trust in, rely upon him. That he died for us. Should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Bless Mike now as he comes and bless us as you have taught us to pray, sing together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. Power and glory forever. Amen.
morning, brothers and sisters. Um, our scripture today is Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. And our scripture today starts out with Jesus, Peter, John, and James praying on a mountainside. This is kind of an important cultural clue. The Hebrews used to climb up the side hills and mountains to pray because they believed it brought them that much closer to God. Some say it was Mount Hermon, and some say it was Mount Tabor. I thought Hermon sounds good because the name means mountain, and it's well suited because of its location, its height, and its seclusion. Verse 32 says that the men were drowsy because of the climb they had just done. But you know what? They snapped to attention. They snapped to attention to Jesus. He started praying and was transformed. He looks like he will when he comes back and returns to earth. Both these disciples actually got to see Jesus just as he will look when he appears back on earth. They not only saw Jesus in a dazzling white robe, but the patriarchs, Elijah and Moses, were with him. They stood right beside him. I think I figured out why those two men were with Jesus, why uh, Elijah and Moses were there. Because Jesus was the compilation of both their ministries. One was here for law, and one was here for uh, prophets. And together, they pointed to Jesus as the combination of the law and the prophets. Peter was known to make other statements. <laughs> And as he, this time he said, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let us make three booths, or tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Without realizing it, he was actually promoting the prophets to the same level, messianic level as Jesus. So while he was speaking, a cloud enveloped them. The cloud was God. And he spoke audibly to, to them. Last time God spoke was at Jesus' baptism. But he spoke to Jesus alone. This time he spoke to everyone, not just Jesus. Everybody up there heard him. When God was finished speaking, Jesus stood alone. Both his patriarchs were gone. Moses and Elijah had disappeared. And after descending, the disciples, they didn't tell anybody of what had happened on the mountain. And I thought, that's odd. If I had seen a cloud talk to me and seen Jesus transform in how he looked when he comes back, I'd probably want to share that. And I thought, why in the world would you share news like that? Came up with two reasons. First off, they didn't want to predate what was going to happen later. They weren't ready yet to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, not until after his crucifixion. After he had passed and they got everything they needed, they were ready to share the good news. And then were able to share the great news of their mountaintop experience. 
paid a pass on about and eight days after these sayings, Jesus took Peter and John and James and they went up into a house to pray. Um, I'm going to ask you to um, lead groups to Mount Tabor. We've had a number of professors that went there and we went to Israel and, and various um, sites in Greece and Rome and Israel and there's really a tabernacle or church that we've, we've uh, ministered to on, on that Mount Tabor there and whether it was Herman or Tabor um, the important thing is this happened and that you and I became this transformational act in our lives too where Jesus comes to us and we come to Jesus. And it says, and as Jesus prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. People that have had out-of-body experiences recount and had similar experiences. And behold, there talked with him two, two which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of Jesus' demise or his death and what was going to be occurring in a brief period of time which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with Jesus, they were just heavy with sleep. They were exhausted. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two that stood with Jesus. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, and I think we've probably all been maybe caught in those times where we we just don't know what to say, so rather than just kind of keep him quiet, we blur out something, and he says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Well, that was definitely true. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said, scripture says. And while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This, this is the this is the keeper, this is the catcher here. This is my beloved son. What do you do with it? You hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no one in those days any of those things which they had seen. Now the event described in these verses are commonly called the Transfiguration. This is kind of Transfiguration Sunday. And it's one of the most remarkable events in history of our Lord's earthly ministry and the call and just the emphasis upon the call. It's one of those passages which we should always read with, with a great deal of thankfulness. It lifts a corner of the veil, just a veil which, which hangs over the world to come and, and throws this tremendous light on some of the deepest truths, truly the deepest truths of our faith. In the first place, in the first place, this passage shows us something of the glory which Christ's 
will have at his second coming, as we look forward to the second coming of Christ. And then, secondly, it, it shows us how, how you and I are safe. The safety of all true believers who love Jesus and have been removed, or will be removed in this world. And then thirdly, it talks about, about the uh, Old Testament, saints in glory, and it takes a deep interest in, in Christ. Um, coming and atoning death upon the cross of Jesus Christ, what the Bible has to remind us of, and then certainly in the last place, how we need to be obedient to all the teachers of the Bible, both Old and, and New Testament. Let's examine the first point here. In the first place, this passage shows us something of the glory which Christ will have in the second coming, and as we look forward to the event of his second coming, we read that the fashion, the very fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was, was as white and glistening as anybody could ever imagine. And, and that the disciples who were with him saw Jesus in his glory. Now we need not doubt that this marvelous, this marvelous vision was, was meant to encourage and strengthen our Lord's disciples and it was meant to encourage and, and strengthen you and I. They had just been hearing of the cross. They had just heard of the tremendous passion, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and you know, it just kind of flew over their heads. They, they just weren't on board. It was unimaginary about, about hearing of a cross that their Lord would die on in the tremendous passion, and, in, and about the, the self-denial. You know, we, we know little about self-denial live in such an affluent society that, you know, um, there's food in our shelves and there's food in our fridges and, you know, we don't know nothing about real self-denial and the sufferings to which they, as Christians, Christ followers, would submit, submit themselves to. All, all that they would be saved, if they would be saved, they encounter these events. They would now just get a portion of being cheered up and built up by a glimpse of the glory, the glory that should follow. And the reward which all faithful servants of their master would one day be participants in and receive. They, they had seen their master's day, days of weakness. They now saw for just a few minutes, just a few minutes, a pattern and a specimen of his future power and what his collaborators and those well, let us take comfort. You and I, we should take comfort in this tremendous thought that there are good things laid out in store for us, in store for us as all true Christians, which shall make ample amends for any afflictions that we experience in this present time. Now is the season, now is the season for you and I to carry the cross, to share in our Savior's humiliation, received a number of calls this past week and somebody requested about, you know, a sermon on humility and I'm going to um, be addressing that subject here in a few Sundays. The Savior's humiliation and our humiliation is nothing compared to what Jesus went through. The crown, the kingdom, the glory, and all that's yet to come. Christ and Christ's people are not like, they're like 
David injured Saul. He injured Saul in the cave of Adullam. And um, David was despised and lightly esteemed in the world. There was this tension between two real Christian leaders, Saul and David. And it seems no form or comeliness in Jesus or in Jesus' service, but with the hour cometh and, 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 and the hour soon will be here when Christ shall take to himself his great power and his tremendous reign and put down every enemy under his feet. His first coming was as a servant and as a minister to you and I and as we minister unto him. He's going to be coming as a conquering king and then the glory which was first seen for just a few minutes by, by three witnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration shall be seen by all the world and never hidden to all eternity. And we've, we're at a point now where, you know, with all the, the technologies that an event like this can occur in any part of the world and, and everybody finds out. Well, in the second place, this passage of Scripture shows us the safety safety of all true believers who have been removed from the world. Those loved ones that have gone on before us, they've served faithfully, they've received a crown of righteousness. And Jesus said, well done, all faithful and true servants. We are told that when our Lord appeared in glory, Moses, Moses and Elijah were seen with Jesus and standing and speaking with Jesus and those early disciples. Moses had been dead nearly 1,500 years. 1,500 years, and then he appears at the event of transfiguration. Elijah had been taken up by a whirlwind from the earth more than 900 years before this time. Yet here you find these holy men, these holy men persons were seen once more alive, and not only alive, not only in life, but in their glorified state, which Christ promises to you and I going home, home to be with the Lord. Well, let us take comfort in that, the blessed thought that there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection in life to come. Can you say it with me? There is a resurrection and there is a life to come. All is not over when the last breath is when the body is still warm, the spirit and soul goes to be with the Lord. There's, there's another world beyond the grave, but above all, let us take comfort in the thought that until that day dawns and the resurrection begins, the people are God are safe. Say it with me, safe. Safe. Safe with Christ. There's much about their present condition, no doubt, which is deeply mysterious to you and I, where is their local habitation? What knowledge have they of things on earth? Um, these are questions we cannot answer, but let it suffice you and I to know that Jesus is taking care of us, and Jesus is taking care of them that have gone on before, and will bring them with him at that last day. For those that are in Christ, we always say goodbye to they see you later. Jesus showed Moses and Elijah to his disciples on the mountain of transfiguration. And Jesus, Jesus 
shows us all who have fallen asleep in him at his second advent. Our brethren, our loved ones and sisters in Christ are in good keeping. They're in good keeping. They, they are not lost, but just gone before us. Just gone before us. I like to use military language that you and I are just temporarily employed here upon earth. My son is facing an appointment on Monday. And it's always, uh, you know, kind of my son and son-in-law. It, it's always kind of sad to say, um, we'll see you. We'll see you later. But you and I, we're, this is not our home. This, this is a kind of our temporary deployment. D.A.D. Yes. And the true man of this storm is a shield. Well, in the third place, this passage shows us that the Old Testament, the Old Testament, saints in glory take a deep interest in Christ. Yeah, they knew it was coming. They knew the purpose, passion of Jesus. We're told that when Moses, Moses and Elijah appeared in glory with their Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration, they talked. They talked with him. I could just kind of see him huddled around. Ever been in sports? He huddled. Basketball huddle and football huddle. And what was his subject? Imagine what was the subject of their conversation. We're not obliged to make conjectures and guesses about their conversation. St. Luke tells us they, that they spake, that they spoke of, of his demise, of Jesus' death, and, and what he should accomplish when he ended up in Jerusalem. They knew the meaning of that to be death, to be death, but you know, it's just kind of flying over. They knew how much really depended upon his actually going to the cross. And therefore, they talked. I believe they talked about it. And it's kind of maybe somewhat of a talk, like you and I have with our loved ones, that we, we know that we're going to say goodbye for a while or see you later. But it's nothing like until it actually occurs. It, it's a grave mistake to suppose that holy men and women under the Old Testament knew nothing about the sacrifice which Christ was to offer up for the sins of the world, the sins for you and I. Their light, their understanding, no doubt was far less clear than our understanding. They saw things far off and indistinctly, which we see as it were almost close to hand in. It, like the, the Apostle Paul in writing Corinthians said that we cannot see through glass darkly. But there's, there's not the slightest proof that any Old Testament saint ever looked to any other satisfaction for sin for that which God promised to make by sending his Messiah, the Messiah, the truth and life and only way. From Abel, you go back to Abel, down, downwards through the whole company of old believers appeared to have been resting on a promised sacrifice and a blood of almighty efficiency yet to be revealed. From the beginning of the world, there was, there's never been but one foundation and one hope and peace for sinners such as you and I. The death of an almighty mediator God and humans, that foundation is the entire truth of all the revealed 
certainly to Christianity. It was the subject of which Moses and Elijah were, were sent and were seen speaking when they appeared in glory. They spoke of an atoning death of Christ, an eternal lamb, which would take away the sins of the world. And let us take heed that this death, this impending death of Christ, is the ground of all our confidence, the ground of our confidence. Nothing else will give us comfort in the hour of death and on that day of judgment. Our own works, your works, my works are defective, they are imperfect. Our sins are more in number than the, the hairs on our heads, according to Psalm 40, verse 12. That Christ dying for our sins and rising again for our justification must be our only plea, must be our only hope, our only justification if, if we wish to be saved. But happy is the person, happy is the person who has learned to cease from their own good works and trust and to glory in nothing but the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. If saints in glory see in Christ's death so much beauty that they must needs talk of it, how much, how much more ought we as sinners here upon earth talk about the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And in the last place, before we close this morning, the passage shows us the intense distance, the intense distance between Christ and all the teachers whom, whom God has given us. Tremendous distance. We are told that when, when Peter, you know, what he said was kind of the rock of the church, and then the Catholics think that Peter was a, was rock of the church, but know what his statement was when he says, Thou art to Christ. And Jesus says, You know, I'm going to build my church upon that statement. We're told that when Peter, not knowing what he said, not knowing what he said, proposed to make three tabernacles on the mount, one for Jesus. One for Moses, and one for Elias, as if all three deserve equal honor. I happen to have a, a beetle, believe it or not, that's crossing my page from left to right. I'm just going to pull him off. He's not staying. You want to see him gain the air? There he went. Because he wasn't following the stand going up and down. Sometimes maybe rebuked by God, by 
first. That's kind of what Lent is all about, you know, seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and seeing Jesus first in our lives. That this this proposal was at once rebuked in a remarkable way because there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Listen. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. And that voice was the voice of God the Father, conveying both reproof and instruction. That that voice proclaimed to Peter's ear, and it should proclaim to your ear and my ear, that however great Moses and Elijah and great that you or I might be, there stood one before us far greater than, than you and I. They, they were but servants. You and I are but servants, but Jesus was the king's son. They were but stars. He was the son. Yes, you went. They were but witnesses, and you and I are but witnesses. But he was a truth, and he was alive, and he was away. And for forever, let the solemn word of the Father ring in our ears and give the keynote address to our religion and ourselves. Let us honor Christians as one another for their master's work. Let us follow them so long as they follow Jesus Christ. But let it be our principal aim to hear Christ's voice and to follow Jesus wheresoever and whatsoever he goeth. And, and let some talk, if they will, of the voice of the church. But let others be content to say, I hear, I may hear the preacher, I may hear the Sunday school teacher and the leaders, but we need to listen to Jesus. Let us never be satisfied unless the Spirit Spirit of God witnesses within us that we hear Christ himself and our Jesus disciples. Father, this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of radio and television that may be listening, this is probably the most holy time of all times when we ask ourselves what relationship are we in listening to Jesus? How truly conscious, how much time during the days and weeks and the months and the years of our life and we truly listen to the still small voice of God speaking to us. Very about and every eye closed and if we can just together admit that we have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God and things we've done and left undone. And would you say this prayer with me, dear Jesus? Forgive me of my sins, things I've done and left undone. Come into my heart and life. Forgive my sin. Put me on the path. To listening to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. As yes, is prepared to come and wait upon you for your love offering to the Lord and the church, let us turn to our offertory prayer printed in our bulletins. And would you pray this prayer? God of power and love, we come to worship this day in anticipation, to hear the music, to be fed by the word, to reconnect with family, most of all to listen to your voice as it might speak to us in the silent moments. Wait your goodness and carry you, confirming the gifts we give. And 
comes to an end. May we hear Jesus' voice sending us out into the mission field, and may we listen and go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the ushers come forward this morning, um, let us turn to our offertory hymn, Be Thou My Vision, Purple Number 451, please.
So that Jesus being lifted up may draw all unto himself in the kingdom of the world and become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Amen. Amen. Do you have an announcement if you'd like to make it? Um, Rabbi, would you kind of share a little bit about, you want to come up and take the mic and just share a little bit about this event that we're going to be putting together and I think there's going to be 30 or so that are going to sign it up. And if you have an announcement or an event that you want to share, be sure to come and We're talking about doing a Passover, Passover meal here. Most churches don't even know what Passover meal is because it was eliminated. Passover meal was the last thing the Lord Jesus did with his disciples. And he did that so that they would understand what he was about to do. The thing is, and he asked us all right now, are you leaving? How do you celebrate it? And the Passover meal is the celebration of resurrection and exodus from our old life to our new life. And it is also the way that we can say we are here and we are one of your people. If we are not doing the Passover meal, we are not following his word. Leviticus 23, this is where a lot of people fall short in their understanding. Leviticus 23. I and I said to Moshe, tell the people of Israel the designated times of Yahweh. Notice, doesn't say the Jewish feasts. These are the designated times of our Lord, our God, that we're all to keep. It says it right there, they're not Jewish holidays. They take place in Israel at the time. But it's for all the redeemed, not just a few. Tell the people of Israel the designated times of Yahweh, which you are to proclaim as holy convocations, are my, my designated times. First is Shabbat, and then we come to, on the 14th day, this book. On the 14th day of the, of the month, between sundown and complete darkness comes Pesach or Passover. What have we done? Even the rabbis have changed it to the Passover season. It's the spring feast, not the Passover season. Passover is only five, six hours long. And then we enter into the second feast, which is unleavened bread. Then comes the third feast, which is first fruits. Sometime within that seven-day feast of unleavened bread comes a first day of the week, which is a Sunday. On that day, 
Jesus rose from the dead. On first fruits, the Passover meal is a celebration of that last supper with Yeshua HaMashiach and his disciples. He drinks the cup, he takes the cup of sanctification and says, I will not again drink this cup until Jerusalem says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Other than that, the feasts are to be kept. And he gets farther down to the cup of redemption, which is later on. And it says, this is the cup of redemption. This is my blood. This is where he enters into the blood covenant with all those people that he redeems. It's during the Passover meal. It's completed on the cross. But it's all designated during the meal. The resurrection is designated during the meal to the matzah. And then different things that are done with the unleavened bread. And I want to invite you all, both on radio TV, if we're still on here, and all of you, to come to the Seder. I've got about 20, 22, 23 people that are coming already from our whole group, most of them. When we meet people on the street, we invite them. Now this is going to be a potluck meal. Hot bless. I need to know who's coming and who isn't so I can get the numbers and we can get adequate food for everybody. I'm shooting for 50 to 80 people, maybe more. I don't know for sure. So if you could uh, let us know if you're going to be there, that's April 8th. The meal is going to start between 6 and 6.30. If you're bringing food, we appreciate if people would show up about 5.30 with food. So they have time to set up. My wife and I have done many of these. I do not uh, expect to be paid for doing this. I have never charged a dime for any speaking. In our hundreds of churches I've been in, hundreds of Passovers I've done, I've never charged a dime. Because I don't know if the people are going to think it's that I'm worth it. I used to ask a man taking out to take a free will offering. And if, if they got something out of what I said, go ahead and donate. If not, I don't want your money. If what I said did not touch you in a deep way, I don't want the money. Because that's what I'm here for. He gave me many things freely. And he instructed me many years ago, freely give. I want to invite you all again, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, come join us on April 8th for the Seder meal. Your life will never be the same. I have had people come to five or six of the Seders I've 
got all over the state. And when I have them, they say the area here, they come, my people want to come all the time. So we knew that touching feeling that you have. One point my daughter said she will, she'd be playing violin at the theater. When we were playing, she was playing the Star Spangled Banner and Hatikva. A normal Passover meal for the Jewish people was eight to twelve hours long. I've tried to, I wrote it in my Haggadah so we can, which is the order of service. Everybody, everybody will have a book to look at and read along. And I've tried to adjust it so we can do it in about three hours. And that's compressing it pretty good. So again, we invite you all to come in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's give Rabbi and Jesus a round of applause. You want to take us out, thank you. Thank you.
not administer any denominations in Jesus' event. If you have any questions, talk to Rabbi here. Claudia. Michael. Thank you. I just want to make sure one thing I prompted Randy to say was in the sermon TAD. What that means is tamper assigned duty. The service would send us someplace to learn something new or work with people so we gain experience on stuff. And so the way I look at it, we're all TAD on earth. Temporary assigned duty. It's not it's not where we've been, it's not where we're going. It's where we are. So we're in a we're in right now, and I'm just gonna praise everybody tell you to praise the Lord, spread his light and his word to others. Thank you, Jesus, for his service. Be with us as we leave. God bless you. Thank you.